Welcome to another episode of the Dreams to Reality podcast. And as you can see already, we are out of the studios in my office. And yes, we are here in Suffolk at Ben Coomber's house, who is my very, very special guest. We do ha- actually have him here. Um, but with that said, thank you for being a part of this podcast. How are you doing today, Ben? Dude, I was waiting for the call. Why did it take you so long? Uh, you know, I live four, four hours away. <laughs> four hours away. Um, <laughs> All jokes aside, thank you for inviting us into your house to do this podcast. You've got a lovely house. And the first thing I said to you, or one of the first things is your garden. You've got a massive garden. How do you keep, how do you, how do you keep up with it? I don't. <laughs> that's the short. I mow the lawn, that's it. The rest is just wild. Got a natural garden. Natural garden. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to this podcast today. There's many things I want to ask you. Um, recently, I was on your podcast and we basically just had to be quiet and cut it short because food was coming. Um, but when I say cut it short, we still went on for well over an hour. Mm. So hopefully there's going to be many things we're going to not just recover, but really dive in a lot deeper. And there's a lot of questions I have actually about your story, which I really want to dive into. Um, but with that said... Can you tell people what you do, who you are, and then we're going to really get into how you started? Yeah, so my industry is the health and fitness space. I'm primarily a nutritionist, or that's what I talk about a lot. I love talking about mindset as well. I love talking about personal development, which I think is how you and me kind of really connected. Yeah. And, uh, we like developing ourselves. We like asking better questions of ourselves. And I'm also a personal trainer, I'm also a strength and conditioning coach, but I really love the nutrition, the lifestyle, the mindset space. Uh, And that all came from me starting off as an obese teenager. Um, I had to go on a journey of, you know, getting healthy, getting fit. It was a problematic journey. And there was a couple of moments that really unlocked my potential and I got results really quickly. So I struggled with my weight for a long time, struggled with my health. And then I lost four stone in four months. And it was like that rapid transformation of, it just basically showed me what's possible with the human body, that if you really apply the right tools consistently with effort, focus, you can get incredible, insane results. And at the time I was gonna go and follow a career in acting and I thought, you know what? I'm kind of losing the passion for that. I'm going to go into the health and fitness space. And I did develop that, trained as a nutritionist and a coach and a masseuse, and then went to uni, studied at uni, started my first business at uni in my second year in my my bedroom, joined the Enterprise Center, started to go through the kind of early um, learnings of business while I was in essentially a safe environment. I was in my student, student days. I could make the mistakes. Started a business, then started another one because I've screwed that one up plenty and I uh, haven't looked back since. I've been self-employed ever since I was I was 20 um, and now I have a supplement company, a nutrition education company. I do a lot of speaking like you. I've got a big mouth, so I've got my own podcast, mm. do a lot on social media and try and wake up passionately every day to try and teach and inspire other people to do awesome things. Awesome. So let's bring it back a little bit. You said you was an obese teenager. Yep. What age did you realize you was obese? You were bigger than people around you. And how long did that last for? How long would you say you was obese for? It was probably mid-teen years. I started to really pile on the weight. And that was because I went to... Uh, I was very lucky. I went to a boarding school, private, private education. And I only got into private education because my mum got a job at the school, which oh, essentially wow. means we got in cheap. 
Um, yeah. You know, my, my family weren't wealthy. We didn't have the yeah. money to pay uh, private school fees. So I'm very lucky. Um, but when you're in a private school, you can eat what you want. Like yeah. the food's just there. It's buffet style, basically. So I ate like any young kid was. Didn't have an off switch. Really enjoyed food. Probably quite... Um, not very confident as a kid so probably you know took more pleasure in food than I I maybe should have and um, you know 15, 16, 17 really started to pile on the weight became a lot more self-conscious of it I remember around 16 and periodically tried some diets but it's hard at school like it's it's, it's just tough but was you given the right information about nutrition and stuff when you was that age did you know eating the food you was eating ultimately was going to lead you to being fat or did you not really think about it? Because when you're younger, obviously you, you can sometimes get away with eating more because you're so active, you're in a soft play, you're running around, yep. you're doing sports. Did you do sports actually when you was in school? Yeah, constantly, every day. So I played at least an hour or two of sports. So I wasn't an inactive kid. We walked everywhere. The school was massive. So to get from one lesson to the other, it was like a 10 minute walk. So I wasn't inactive by any stretch of the imagination. I just ate too much too many uh, calories a lot, a lot of chips a lot of white bread a lot of cheese like all the stuff that you love as a kid that you can if you, if it's there on a plate you're just going to you're just going to dive in and help yourself yeah of course um so information wise you know i, I was only a kid my mum was a vegetarian so my mum was oh, always really? health wow. aware okay and you know we ate well relatively well at home but at school i just got you know, the opportunity to eat too much. So I remember when I was younger, I tried a couple of diets. I remember doing a men's health diet at a magazine once. And again, it didn't talk about calories. So, you know, I think calories in young people is a dangerous bit of information because if it's not done in the right way, people can quickly become obsessive about calorie counting and like, oh, I literally can't eat that. But, you know, I just needed a greater awareness, like having a main meal with two chip butties on the side probably wasn't a great (laughs) great idea the main meal was probably fine and probably totally adequate for my needs but because i was allowed to have it i did so at what point did you lose the four stone in four months literally in school or was that when you went to university no left school so left school and i just looked at myself and i said how successful do i want to be in my life and i didn't feel i could be as successful as my potential was with being overweight uh, you know, having the level of confidence that I did, the health issues that I did. So I started to run, literally laces on, no gym, just started to run, started to do some body weight exercises, started to eat better or what I thought was better. I just wasn't losing any weight and um, happened to join a gym, fell in the hands of a good trainer. He was like, look, read this book. It's awesome. It's called How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy by Paul Check. So this was, yeah, like 13, 14 years ago now. Uh, read the book from cover to cover in a week, applied the information straight away. I mean, I was highly driven. I knew what I wanted and that information and starting to do a bit of weight training and stuff, lost four stone in four months. So how does how did that affect your relationship with potentially partners, girlfriends, other going out I became more confident I was very um, I'll just say I was unsuccessful with women before I lost weight because I Mm. you know I just didn't feel in a place where I'd be like I would be attractive to another person so Mm. you know once I lost the weight I became more confident when I started weight training you know weight training for a guy I, I think is a is a good thing. I've only seen positive mm. things. You know, I like having more muscle mass than than average. Um, and I think um, the opposite sex quite often find, you know, a strong male as, as, a, as mm. an attractive thing. So I only saw benefit. Um, and yeah, it was, it was so better from 18 onwards. <laughs> would you say the fact that you've been through obesity, you've experienced 
those type of insecurities, that makes you a better coach today. 100%. That makes you understand your clients better and you also have a complete better understanding of what people want because you've experienced it. It's not just something you read in a book. Yeah, hundred percent. Like you know, I uh, I'm a coach. I draw a different example. I'm a I'm a nutrition coach, and I quite often teach about uh, vegan nutrition, plant based nutrition, alternative diets, and I know a lot about it. But I've never been through it for a prolonged period of time. So this January, but you're doing it. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, we're yeah. doing. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing a vegan diet, and even as I got into a week, I was like, oh my god, like this bit of the diet is tough. And if I'd never have been through that, I wouldn't have known firsthand the difficulties that my client's going through by making that lifestyle choice. Um, And it's the same, like if you are a high level athletic coach, if you've never been an athlete yourself, you're going to struggle to be uh, or understand at that level. So I'm not saying you can't be a good coach, but it gives you the edge, gives you the edge. Because you understand it. You have complete compassion for that person. Now, at the elite level of sport, for example, it's very easy to be the hard line coach. Mm. Here's your plan. You've got to do it. Because athletes are highly motivated. But when you're looking at like almost the general population oh, that want to okay, change, got you, you've yeah. got to have massive levels of compassion. I remember my last rugby coach. You know, He was a dictator. Came in and was like, this is how we're going to do it. And, this, and it didn't work for our rugby team because... We weren't elite athletes. No. We were just people that played for fun, wanted to develop. Um, whereas we had a new coach and he was a bit more compassionate, took time to understand us, took time to develop us, and we flourished as a team. Yeah. We won the league. We went up. Show off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic points what you're making there. I think it really means a lot and it really says a lot. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the work I do in school really resonates with the people I'm working with. Um, So I think it's good to have an understanding of the people you're working with and really trying to help them and support. And if you've been through that yourself, then you've got probably a deeper understanding really. Um, But with that said, you went to university. What did you study at uni? Sports performance and coaching. Okay. What uni? Hull. And are you from... I'm from Ipswich, Suffolk. Uh, okay, so cool. It was so a long was, way was, away. was that a big step for you to move away? No, because I'd been uh, at private school and my dad was in the military, so we always moved quite a lot. So okay. kind of change is is kind of normal for me. I'm I'm, I'm cool with it, and I, I did genuinely want to move away from home. I wanted to have the experience of being completely unsupported because I've been supported my whole life. Wow. Um, and I was like, if I'm going to learn the real world, because when I left school at 18, I'd never had a real job. Yeah. I'd never lived in like. I'm going to describe it the real world. So I was like, I'm just going to go out and get a job and I'm going to live and pay for my own rent and food and all the rest of it. Because I thought if I'm going to be an adult, I need to put myself into an adult not environment. Many, not many people already think like that, do they? Well, you've when got a choice. When you're in your comfort zone and you could get things paid for you, you don't have to really put yourself out there and kind of suffer in a way. I guess a lot of people, they choose the comfort zone. But at this age, how old was you when you went to uni? 21. So at being 20, 21, making that decision to go to university and okay, you might, you could have went to the University of Suffolk, for example, or uh, a uni close by, but instead you took that leap. And I know quite a lot of people do that, but it was interesting to hear your, your perspective of why you've done that and your self-awareness at really at such a young age to actually understand that, okay, I went to boarding school, everything was done for me, essentially, okay, you still had to work hard, but now you're going to put yourself out into the real world. 
So when did it feel like the real world for you? <laughs> so I'll just like I'll say why I think that was probably easier or different for me. So when you're at boarding school, you're not you're surrounded by your mates, but when the whistle goes at the end of the school year, all your mates leave. Like you're mm-hmm. you're on your own. So I had about two or three mates that lived locally. Now the reason why I think that's important is like where from you you're from like Bristol area. Mm. Like if you go to a local school, all your friend group they yeah. live in like an it's hour, the same, yeah. you know, the radius, not right? even an hour, ten minute walk. Yeah. Um, that's what I meant, like a mile's yeah. radius. And that means that even when school's finished, like your social life is constantly buzzing. Yeah, oh, we're going out to Nando's at the weekend. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. <laughs> like I never had that. So actually, when school stopped. I stopped and I just sat there and reflected. Wow. So what kids, young people, anyone needs to do is you need to have these periods in your life where you just remove yourself from your environment and getting caught up in your environment and just be present and be like, right, hang on a second. Let's do almost like a life audit. Where am I at? What am I doing? Am I happy? What am, what am I doing in six months time? Like, this job that I'm doing, why am I doing it? Is it serving me? Is it a short game, medium or long time, long-term career choice? And because I got dumped in like the real world, like overnight, I just became very reflective very quickly and just asked myself very hard questions and was like, right, let's go get a job. Let's find a new group of friends. Let's get a weekend job so I can meet chicks in a bar. Like I made all these decisions because I had... I was forced to almost make them. Mm. So I'm not saying I'm in a unique situation, but people have to learn about why that happened for me yeah. and put themselves into that environment. Environment dictates success, period. Like, you know, the people that I know now will continue to serve me well in my business environment, my personal environment, everything. So if if anyone is watching this right now, you've got to stand back and go, my environment right now, am I happy with it? Is it serving my purpose? And you you got to make some hard decisions. Can you dive a little bit more into the environment? Because obviously there's a lot of cliche sayings. You lie down with dogs, you come up with fleas. <laughs> all of these different um, sayings. And mm-hmm. I we used to have a saying, only fly with eagles. Um, whether logically that makes sense or not. It's just about being around people who are doing something. doing People who have goals, people who have dreams. Mm-hmm. Why is that important to be around people who are pushing you, challenging you? They got goals, they got dreams. And how can that affect you in a positive way? Or how can a bad friend group or whatever affect you in a negative way? Hmm. Because we all see it because we're one of the yeah, one keys to us as humans. We want to be a part of something. We want to be related to something. We want to be a part of a group and a community. But why is that community, why is it essential? We've picked that community wisely, essentially. Hmm. Why, why is that? So whatever environment you're in, you'll start to pick up cues and energy and sayings and behaviours and habits. Mm. So if you're in you know, a bit of a, a rough area, for example, and you know, maybe a little bit of light crime, a little bit of violence, all that kind of stuff is the norm, then your behaviour and your beliefs and your values around, let's say, uh, mild forms of crime or um, you know poor behaviour, it, it kind of normalises it, and and that's a problem yeah. over time. And this is why we see pockets of the UK or any communities where all of this stuff just it never improves. It just we you're just in this constant cycle, cycle of like yeah. yeah. So when I was at Hull University, there was a there was a, a housing estate that was notorious for drugs and crime and all the rest of it. But the problem is is 
people died and people were born and the they stayed in that ecosystem. So the ecosystem never had changed because that, that was their yeah. environment. So when I left school, I, I started to say, well, what environment do I want to be in? Like right now, every day, I'm constantly asking myself, am I in the right environment? Like the sports team do I play for? Do I enjoy the people I'm playing with? Am I am I getting enough out of it? The gym that I go to, do I like the gym? Does it inspire me? The podcasts I listen to, do I get inspired by it? The books that I'm reading, do they educate me or do they annoy me? Is my relationship positive or negative? Does it anger me more than it fulfills me? Um, the TV that I'm watched, does it again, does it inspire me or does it make me laugh or does it relax me? My home environment, do I feel comfortable? Do I feel so secure? So self-awareness, that's just... Yeah, but if you spend time asking yourselves these questions, you're able to have the time to work on your self awareness. Like mindfulness has been proven to be as effective as like so many drugs or therapy and all this kind of stuff. But no one's spending time with themselves, asking themselves hard questions because we're getting up, we're on social media, we're going to work, we're going to school, then we're going to meet friends, and actually we're constantly being mentally stimulated. And if that's happening and you're happy with that, that's fine. But if you're unhappy and you're not aware of all the things that you're doing every day, you've got to stand back and go, I haven't even had half an hour to myself today to think about what I might do later Mm. or tomorrow or that I'm unhappy or I'm sad or I'm depressed or I'm angry. So mindfulness and self-awareness is just fucking, it's a fundamental life skill. Mm. I'm just trying to, you said a lot then but good stuff and it's interesting what you said about the cycle you talked about obviously some say deprived areas and stuff like that and there's one line in the song um it's not completely accurate but it's the abused becomes the abuser Mm. and it's kind of like the cycle of life and how many kind of traits do we pick up from our parents how much did they pick up from their parents and so on and so forth and how long does that cycle really last for so like for me i was the first one in my family to ever go to university and then maybe my kids in the future might go to university because they've seen it been done Mm -hmm. but of course that because there is a cycle it doesn't mean that cycle can't be broken but sometimes it can be a little bit more difficult. But from what you're saying, tell me if I'm wrong, when you become more self-aware of that, you're, where you're, who you're around, what you're constantly doing, what you're constantly thinking about, all the information you're consuming, the more you think about that and the more you are aware of that and how it makes you feel, the easier it is to kind of break out of that cycle, the easier it is to make the changes you want to make. Because I think it's really good and especially with a lot of places I go into, a lot of schools, colleges, even prisons and stuff, I think that what you've said then is vital. But then that comes back down to, I guess, responsibility. And a lot of people shy away from taking responsibility. I don't feel like there's much, There's it's not a bad thing if you've done something wrong. It's just whether you can own up to it and actually take full responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to become fully self-aware you have to i guess be take responsibility how do you do that because sometimes i still don't do it now yeah, yeah we all don't it's easier to point a finger at somebody else and play the blame game but sometimes we just have to point it at ourselves really sure so probably one of my earlier character traits that i developed was uh being quite selfish and I picked that up from, um, I would say, my dad. My dad was uh, kind of selfish by nature. And I think men are naturally, as a general rule of thumb, more selfish than females. Females will generally give a lot more time to other people. Um, and that, that's 
because I think females are more of a natural carer. That's quite often their role or has been for a long time in society. They're the one that gives birth to the child, looks after the child, while the man might go out and, you know, collect fire, get food, earn pennies, that kind of thing. So I picked up that early character trait and it, it probably made me quite driven early on as a result of some other things that happened in my childhood. But I was able to have the self-awareness to see when that selfish behavior was positive and both negative in my environment. So we all have a responsibility to the people around us. But first and foremost, fundamentally, at a basic biological human nature level, we have a responsibility to ourselves. Mm. So if we can't be the best per, per version of ourselves we can't be the best version of us ourselves to other people so if i'm not in a good place i'm not happy i'm strong i'm fulfilled i'm going to be a crap husband to my wife and the same for my wife to me and if i'm not in a good place i'm not going to be able to give good quality time to other people in my friend environment or my family environment and the thing that why that's important and to realize that is otherwise you'll keep getting swept up in this cycle and the expectation of others so when we, let's say someone's in an environment and there might be areas or um, parts of their family they find negative, we see mm. it all the time. Oh, I don't really like that family member. Yeah. You do have to strategically try and avoid too much contact with that family member because yeah. you know it's negative for you. And the, the best story I ever heard on this is um, That's amazing. a friend of mine called Jason Greystone. He's, a, he's sort of a financial coach, um, got a lot of time for this guy, and I interviewed him on my podcast, and he told me about his story. And he grew up in a very rough environment, crime, like all sorts of stuff, like, you know, bad stuff. Yeah. And he was like, I saw that. The age of 16, I saw that. And I sat there at 16 and went, okay, where am I going to be in 25 years' time? Probably going to be in some kind of crime, I'm going to be in trouble, I'm going to follow the patterns that I'm being exposed to every day. And he said, I left home. I just walked away from my environment. And that does take immense strength. Of course. But he had to sit there and say, I'm projecting seven years forward. Where am I going to be? Am I going to be happy? No, I'm probably going to be in jail. Maybe you've taken drugs. Maybe wow. you've stole some Project stuff. Yeah. And, and, and he had the strength. And he knew that the next two to three years were going to be tough. Probably living in a non-optimal environment working a crappy job but he said okay I'm, I'm willing to make that sacrifice for the next three four five years and then I know after that I'll probably get a better job yeah. and a better job and then hopefully I'll find a girlfriend and you know my life will move and you've got to sit there right now wherever you're at saying where do I want to be in five years time and is my environment my actions going to get me to that place where well, you've got to change now it's as simple as that yeah that's interesting um because I do that sometimes in the workshops I do. I talk about character. So I go in and I, I ask them, I say, what job do you want to do? They say, they say a particular job. And I say, what 10 characteristics do you need to do that job, do you think? They write down 10 characteristics. Tick how many of these characteristics you display on a consistent basis, on a daily basis. And they tick two or three out of 10. I said, so you think you're just going to walk into this job? You're competing then with other people, not just people in your school or college, but mm -hmm. other people who are ticking eight or nine of these. So it's all about character. And as we know, it's not all about grades and, and just all about results. It is about your character. At 16 year, years old, just um, like the, your friend you just mentioned, being self-aware and having that vision, having that plan for the next five to seven years, I think is crucial because it's like using a tool. I think I mentioned it on your podcast. Um, if you can see a bigger purpose and then bring it back down to now, you can use what you're doing now as a tool to get you to where you want to get to. Just like the same way a car mechanic would use a tool to fix the car to get the job done, mm -hmm. you can use school as a tool to get 
that done basically so you can go on to do whatever you want to do next same as nutrition okay if you master your monday tuesday and wednesday that's the tool and then thursday friday becomes easier or, or whatever if that kind of makes sense um so what's interesting with that is young people have to understand that we live in a completely different world now to five years ago drastically different to 15 years ago hugely different to 30 years ago so when my dad for example went to university which he did you know you go to university you get a good degree you get a graduate program you get a great career that doesn't happen anymore in many industries so i went to university there was something like 140 people in my cohort we all got a sports science degree and i now know of four people that are in our industry because they all went into that thinking, oh, I'll get a sports science degree and then I'll be working with Manchester United Football Club and it'll yeah. all be great. And I'm like, none of these people did internships or work experience. None of them got jobs on the side. None of them got additional qualifications. None of them thought to specialise in something really specific from a master's. So there's 140 people and let's say there's a thousand jobs but those 140 people are now being replicated in universities all over the UK. So for a thousand jobs, there's maybe... 20,000 people to choose from. Wow. I'm like, what are you going to do to separate yourselves? Wow. A degree isn't enough. In mm. fact, we could probably say a master's isn't enough anymore. No. And that's why, like in my business, I employ um, six full-time members of staff. And on paper, I'll be honest, I have no idea how qualified my staff members are. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. One of them, because a qualification is important for what he does, but all of my members of staff have the will to be better every day. How but how do you how do you um, interview for that? How do you see that? You don't interview for it. Okay, explain. So when I, as a business owner or leader, looks for someone else to join my business or company, I'm I I basically program my subconscious to be aware of the people in my environments that would fit a job role. So I'll give you an example. The last member of staff that I've just employed um, is a kind of part-time PA, media and PR assistant for my personal work. So they work with me on a daily basis, media, content, interviews, that kind of stuff. The one who sent after the podcast, they sent the picture to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I did is I started to be present and self-aware and say, right, I need a person in my life that is highly organized, motivated, enjoys what I do, and fi- finds me an inspiring individual. Um, <laughs> because that, that's important. Yeah, like, true. Why work for someone you're not inspired by? You're just doing a job. You're yeah, not developing. No. Um, like You could be working at a McDonald's, but have such an inspiring manager that asks more of you every day. That's a good thing. That yeah. job at McDonald's is going to lead you forward, even though because yeah. it's not McDonald's that's the environment that's the problem. It's no. the people in it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I said to myself, I I need this person in my life. And literally 10 days later, I was at an event and this this girl bundled up to me. She's in our community and I just started talking to her. And literally within 15 seconds, I was like, this this lady's going to be my PA and, you know, is going to be on our books. And in a couple of weeks time, we started to have a, a chat. We brought her on board, kind of tested her out a little bit. And then she came on board and she started doing 20 hours a week. For me, that's how I look to recruit my staff because you're going to pick up on their energy. But I spend time 
with myself saying, what do I want to look for in this person? I want someone that's conscientious, well-organized, humble, easy to talk to. So I think about the character traits. For example, in the future, I might recruit like um, a, a business development manager or sales manager into our business when we look to expand some of our stuff internationally. And I have to then sit there and say, well, what do I want this person to be? I probably want them to be quite forthright in their opinion, but also a good communicator, quite bullish, good at taking maybe no for an answer uh, when some people would you know, say yes. Um, so the character would be different for that role. And I'd then start to say to myself, right, I'm looking for this person and I might turn up to an event, have a chat on the phone to someone, have an interaction on social media that then leads to, you know, a couple of voice notes or something. And I'm like, this person, this, this person. And I've already had that interaction, but I started to think about it. So that's how I recruit people into my business. And on the paper, on on paper, cool. But if they've got the will to be great at that job, I know they're going to be successful at that job. Wow. So when... I want to kind of, we talked a little bit about it, but I want to go through university. When was the first time you kind of started doing your academy, your nutrition side of things? And then how long did that happen before you decided to do, actually, let's talk about your podcast first. Okay. When did you start your podcast? Six years ago. Six years ago. Ben Coomba Radio. Yep. Okay. So I think I um, said it on your podcast, but how I know Ben and how I heard of you was literally when I was working a part-time job. I was like a full-time job over the summer. I talk about this all the time, but um, I was at the university. I was going around. I was checking rooms. And at this point, I was listening to your podcast. And at this point, it wasn't just for the nutrition uh, nutrition side of things. It was more just because of the mindset, um, the business element of things, because you literally speak about absolutely everything and I found that intriguing and when I started to obviously build my career I remember I reached out to you we we had a bit of communication um, but then a couple years after I think once you've seen that I was consistent in what I was doing um, then we started to actually communicate on a a more regular basis and obviously I came and and then we kind of had some food and stuff and and just caught up and from that point forward um, we've got quite a good relationship so I've not known you from the beginning i've probably known you from the last two years or so but why did you start the podcast obviously we're starting we're doing this podcast but it's kind of i guess a bit late in the game when you started it when maybe podcast wasn't really a thing i don't know why did you start it started it because i wanted to get my message out there more i knew i had uh, an ability to speak and i was very passionate about what i did i was trying to engage in a lot of personal development myself so outside of you know things like university and stuff I was like what books should I be reading you know what other resources are out there and I started to see that a lot of the American health and fitness professionals were getting into this podcasting thing and I was like well how many people in the UK are doing this I was like oh kind of no one's really it's kind of more of an American thing um, because it was started by Apple and you know iTunes podcast and I thought go on I'll have a crack so just got you know, a 40 pound microphone and just fired it up and, you know, felt my way through it. You know, the first 30, 40 episodes were pretty shoddy and then people really caught on to it. Like my core user base started to listen and then I kind of rode the wave of podcasting getting quite popular. I hit number one, you know, the podcast went really well Um, and today it still acts as a primary medium for me to communicate my message and I think people 
you know, there's a lot of people that always want to get under the surface. Social media is great, you know, nice photos, good highlight memes. Yeah, you know, but it's the highlight reel. So like this podcast right now, if like if people want to know what's under me, like what's inside, what's driving me, podcast is an amazing, amazing way to do it. Um, now coming back to your point about our initial interaction, I think yeah. I think I think this is cool because you know, in the world that we live in right now, we live in a world of absolute opportunity. Anyone can do anything that they want. If you love drawing cartoons, you can make a career out of it. List yourself on Fiverr or 99designs.com and you could be in front of a worldwide audience of people that want people that make yeah. cartoons. You could make furniture, you could make labels, beer mats, whatever you want. We're in a connected internet-driven world. And when you reach out to someone, uh, maybe I'll just say in my position, I don't want to sound arrogant, No, but, but at I've, this point, I've been doing what I've been yeah, doing so at for this point, a while. Let's, let's be honest, right? So at this point, you was, you've been in on magazines, you've done a bit on TV, um, your platform is big. Obviously, it's much bigger now, but at that time, I had about 300 likes on my fan page, um, and I was doing what I was doing, but I wasn't doing it at the level I was doing now. So I was just a random person who was reaching out to you, I guess. Um, and, but yeah. and that's the thing. So, you know, you might, you know, there might be someone young uh, listening and watching to this and they reach out to you and they've got 400 people on their Instagram. They're like, hey, Cam, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I've started this. Like it would be awesome to collaborate with you. And you're going to go, you know, yeah, that's nice, mate. But yeah, I know. How, you know, how do you do that? But, I feel but, like but, this, but, that OK, yeah. so this is the reality of the message. Mm. You've been doing what you've been doing for three months. Anyone can do that. Absolutely anyone. So when you've been doing it for six months and I'm like, oh, that's nice, Cam. Da, da, da. But when you come back to me and like, oh, you know, we spoke uh, two years ago. Well, I'm still doing it, and now I'm still crushing the, still it. Still the same height, but <laughs> yeah. But now I'm crushing it, and you've proved to me that you've been consistent, and you're going somewhere, and you've got a message. Because if you didn't have a powerful message, people wouldn't keep listening to you, and you wouldn't keep getting new and new followers. So when someone young comes up to me and they're like, "Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that," I had a perfect example the other day. Uh, I was speaking down the road at the Colchester Institute and this girl come up to me and she's like, I'm really motivated. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing that. And I was like, okay, cool. Now I got a good energy from this girl. So I was like, I'm going to give you a little chance. She was looking for some work. She wanted to do some stuff. So I set her up some stuff. We started to have a lot of chats and a week in, she was like, nah, this isn't for me. Okay. And it was again, another example of like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I want to do this. I'm like, all right, I'll give you a chance. And then a week later, oh, that's not for me. And it's like anyone can say stuff. Anyone can start to do stuff. But when you've been doing something for six months, 12 months, 18 months, now you're onto something. Now people are going to take you seriously. Now I'll take you seriously. And that was when we had our first proper interaction, however long ago. I'm like, this guy's got some cool stuff. I'll listen now. Mm. And how many um, episodes do you have again? I now have about 390, I think. 390 episodes. That's incredible. (laughs) It's funny because obviously since starting this podcast, the first thing I did then was kind of reach out to people I know who might be willing to do it like yourself, other people I've had on the podcast already, people who have an incredible story. But then off the back of that, obviously I'm still looking for people who have been doing what they've been doing for years and they're doing really well. It's the Dreams to Reality podcast at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And people are probably going to listen and watch this. But I have people coming out, oh, if you're looking for guests on your podcast, I'd be happy to come on. And I'm like, yeah, you're not, does that make sense? It's yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah. not really the, the person I'm looking for. I'm not saying you're not doing anything well, but you're just not 
the right fit for what I need right now, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So one, I kind of feel bad about that. But then also somebody said to me, oh, you reached out to this person, that person. But like, actually, I have. And some of them said they're not interested yet or they won't just, they just won't respond. You probably had it early on. And someone's like, oh, when it gets big, forget about them then. They've lost their opportunity. And I said, well, actually, they haven't. I said, you have to put it in perspective. It's got to be worth their while at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, you coming on this podcast now, obviously we've got a good friendship, but you're still doing me a favour at the end of the day. You could be doing anything. You've got so many businesses, but right now, because it's so early days, you're doing me a favour. And once it does get big, I'll reach out to those same people and say, listen, I've had this guest on, this guest on, this guest on, here are the numbers, will you come on? Instead of me being so arrogant and, or up, yeah, up my own ass essentially, and put my insecurities to the side, I'm going to reach out to those people again. Just because they said no now doesn't mean they're going to say no in six months. But our egos and stuff like that get in the way. Have you experienced that yet? Because Right now, I feel like I've been through it by reaching out to people like you five years, four years ago. Yeah. Um, so I'm past that and I understand it now. So two things here. I'm one, just rambling a little bit. But one, you- everyone needs to have the confidence in their ability to to ask the question and handle rejection because it's going to happen Say that in again. Life. Say that again. You need to get used to rejection. Like if you go into a bar and you're like, I'm single, <laughs> I want a girlfriend... It's a numbers game, baby. It's a numbers game. There's a hundred <laughs> women in that bar. Ten will be interested or find you attractive. Five will be interested in having a chat. Three will be interested in a drink. Two, <laughs> two maybe want to take it further. It's a numbers yeah. game. So we do have to get Zero. used to handling yeah. rejection yeah. and people saying no. The thing that we need to do is make what we're offering so compelling that the other person can't say no. So when you first out reached out to me, it was very easy for me to say no because you were just like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm Cam, do a bit of speaking. Yeah, it's true. And then I, I was interested, so I started to follow you. And then you started to put out such good content of you speaking and your message. I think it was on LinkedIn where it I couldn't your say no. Because yeah. nobody's really active on LinkedIn like that, I guess. Um, some people are, but I put a quality video if we have to say so myself, onto LinkedIn. And because I guess it's not as crowded, mm. it caught your attention, whether it's for 30 seconds or a minute. And then that's when you messaged on there. I was like, wow! I was like, Ben just responded to my video. <laughs> we made it, baby! <laughs> but I was, I was buzzing. And that was just a sign of progression. Like, do you know what? Even if he doesn't get back to the message I'm about to send him and the 10 messages he's got coming into his inbox... Um, he's paid attention he likes the video that's progress one is because he's been consistent for so long and doing so well i don't care about money essentially i don't care about any of that what i just care about consistency and 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 growing and every day every year you're growing you're improving ups and downs ups and downs the downs which i'm going to talk about in a minute um but yeah you you you've consistent when you've done it it was just a sign like cam just keep going keep going and then it was funny enough, obviously, I said, where do you live? And he was like, Suffolk, um, postcode, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, listen, I'm in your area in about a month. Can we catch up? And he was like, yeah, just swing by and we'll and we catch up. And just even that conversation then, I know I'm talking a lot now, but normally when you're talking, I just listen because I know you've been through a similar situation to what I'm going through. And I know I can learn from that. Um, so I don't really know what point I'm making, but it's just about consistency. And when people reach out to you, yeah, yeah. It's not just about the words, it's about action, I guess. So 
if we look at anyone that's listening, watching to this, that wants to create more action, you know, what are you working towards? So whether you're single and you're looking for a girlfriend, whether you're looking or for boyfriend. a job or boyfriend, sorry, I'm talking from my, uh, from my own manliness. <laughs> so whether you're looking for a partner, whether you're looking to improve your career, whether you're looking to improve, whatever it is, like, are you putting yourself in the best possible, position that that person cannot say no so if we look at a cv what's on your cv right now you might have a couple of gcse's you might have a degree do you have a cv is that it yeah i do have a cv yeah yeah i've I've probably used it like twice in the last 10 years because i'm self-employed and you know it kind of doesn't really matter um but when you look at that cv and you compare it against 10 other candidates well how do you stack up so where's your experience? Where's your other qualifications? What books are you reading? What are you inspired by? What are your hobbies? Like every employer or um, you know recruiter wants to know this kind of stuff because they want to know like a bit under the skin. Everyone's got qualifications, great, but what separates? You can lie you? about your qualifications on you can. <laughs> you can. You know, a lot of the time an employer won't go. Oh, can you show me proof? Of, you, you know, <laughs> your GCSE certificate. Exactly. It's true. Um, Don't do that, by the way. So whatever you're trying to work through in life, it's and about... And really have to. <laughs> it's about saying, have I done enough? Yeah. And if you haven't done enough, then you have to accept personal responsibility that you could have done more and you can't be upset at the outcome. And rejection. And you can't be upset at being rejected. Mm. Okay, so how many businesses do you have now? We talked a bit about podcasts. How Three. Many? So what are they? Uh, the BTN Academy which is a nutrition education company. So we take people and we essentially turn them into nutrition coaches okay. so they can coach other people. We have Awesome Supplements, which is a, an amazing supplement company, if I don't say so myself. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, and then we kind of have my work, speaking, the podcast, okay, so your personal that kind brand. of thing. Okay, yeah, cool. my personal brand. Does it all fall under one umbrella? Or is it yes. Set? Okay. So the nutrition came first of it well your your brand and the nutrition came first yeah nutrition coaching came coaching. first online and then that spawned into the education and the academy and then that spawned into the supplement line and a, a different form of personal coaching yeah okay because obviously we can't be here all day and i know we could quite easily do that um what podcast was it when which shocked everybody and you said you basically had a bad year and you was nearly you nearly became bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And when I listened to that, everything dropped even for me. Like I was what like I was like, wow, this guy, just for how transparent you just was to everybody. You didn't have to be. But you were so transparent. Which year was that when you nearly became bankrupt? It was twenty seventeen. 2017 and was awesome supplements here then or was yeah, it, it was, starting yeah, off? Yeah, yeah how did you nearly become bankrupt how did it get to that point because i know i've done it before even gadget line we've spoken about it before sometimes you just become ignorant to it you put kind of a smoke over it or whatever and you don't really you don't really look at it even if you know there's a problem there or you completely not aware i don't know how how did that come about and was it a big decision for you to talk about it publicly and just talk to me about it so uh, I suppose there's loads of reasons uh, you'd have to look at. <laughs> there was just so much that went on. So when I talked about consistency, this is where I went wrong. So when you're consistent with something, over time you work out how to get the job done. So when I started my business, there's loads of problems along the journey that you have to solve mm. in a business. It's like 
if you're not comfortable solving problems, I'd say don't get into business because you're going to be faced with one literally like every day, every week. And I started to question myself. So I started to build quite a big business and I started to be like, oh God, this is getting a bit scary. The risk is getting bigger, more employees, all that kind of stuff. And I started to not trust myself as much. And I was like, okay, I've never built a business this big. Do I know how to do it? And there was loads of work coming in and we almost couldn't handle it. And, you know, things were getting really scatty. And I made a lot of really quick decisions like, okay, right, I need someone to, I need someone to help me build this thing. Like I need someone that's been in a bigger business. And I, I made a decision far too quickly and didn't go through the process I spoke about earlier okay. of recruiting the right person into my business. So I brought a person into my business and culturally they were totally the wrong fit for my business. And over time they just self-imploded that business and I didn't spend enough time and I wasn't realistic with myself and I didn't take full ownership to really look at those problems. And because sometimes when you're not aware of what's in front of you, you kind of maybe put the bad stuff to the side and think, oh, is this what it takes to grow a business? Perhaps we do have to do this. So it's like being yeah. in a relationship mm. and like you discard all the bad bits of your relationship because you're like, oh, perhaps this is what it takes to own a house yeah. and be in love and have a kid and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, actually, a baby, no. would, a baby would fix it. Marriage would fix it. Yeah. But then... If the problems are there and you yeah. know you can't be honest with yourself and why the problems exist, mm. then you can't take that step. It's not going to fix it. It's going to lead to more pain down the line because you can have more baggage to solve. That's true. And it left me, because I didn't front up and didn't see these issues, it left me with a huge amount of baggage. So even when I realised there was a problem, I spent the whole of 2017 fix facing it. bankruptcy trying to fix it. And it's not something that I could just you know quickly hustle for 10 days and fix i had contracts that needed to be paid i had staff that needed to be paid i had stock sitting in a warehouse like there was loads of stuff that i couldn't just say oh we're no longer paying for that so i had to fight tooth and nail to kind of get through that year clear all the contracts clear all the costs so it was a combination of me not trusting myself which was a shame because i should have done because i would have worked it out it would have just taken a little bit more time i guess up until that point you have you did trust I had yourself. worked out yeah, yeah I had trust myself but it was almost like I was reading about being a bigger business owner and reading about what's next and you kind of read about company culture and structure and all this kind of stuff and we we're like we were transitioning there and I thought well I don't know how to do that stuff so why don't I get someone in to do it and they just did it all wrong essentially and I wasn't strong enough or maybe didn't know enough or maybe wasn't being honest with myself to really go back and critique those decisions that we were making mm. um, and you know we were in a fairly good cash position at the time so I thought well it doesn't matter if we make a few mistakes here because we're in a fairly decent cash position like don't sweat it you know you've got to invest to recoup the benefits in the future but we ended up just literally hemorrhaging money like month on month for ages um so yeah it was tough year <laughs> in short at what moment did you realize the oh shit moment well, i had no money left my account manager rang me and she was like oh, i don't want to worry you but like i don't have any money to pay the wages and i was like oh how did that happen and because i left someone else in charge of the money and that was when I had to get stuck back into our financials, stuck wow. back what was into happening at a cultural level in my team. And then I had to kind of backtrack and like almost re-educate myself on several areas of the business that weren't going well 
um, because they needed more control, they needed input. So that's what held me back as well, because I, I had to go back into the business. Wow. So it was tough. But it's made me better at what I do now. Like I will not make those same mistakes again. You know, now where my business is, we, you know, in essence, we're we're moving into a riskier position. We're spending more. We're doing lots of different things. But I don't feel risky because I've taken the time to do all the right kind of due diligence before we enter into these different things that we're doing. How did you get through it though? So, did you ever consider quitting? Did you ever consider, consider becoming? Bankrupt. Well, did I? Did I? On never a, lo- on a lonely bankrupt. night here in your beautiful cottage, you sat on your sofa, maybe with your wife, probably cried. I don't know, and you just, you just thought, I can't do it anymore. I or never, did you just think? I never got to that point. Um, I did think about literally cutting like every semblance of dead wood in the business like oh that product's not selling or we're not doing that and like literally go into like me being back a where coach it started again. Again. yeah like yeah. almost back to where it started because i knew it worked and i knew i could i could manage it by myself um that's another thing about character though and your skill and your talent so i talk about this all the time um in many things i do just say the worst case scenario happens one thing what people can't take away is what you know your character how you show up every day Mm. so say everything failed say everything failed you know at least one thing you can coach yep you have the knowledge you know how to do it because you've done it which i think is another reason the reason why i share that is people need to know it's about your character what are you willing to do what are you willing to learn what are you willing to create? Because if shit does hit the fan, how are you going to bounce back from that? Mm. And so be it. If you had to shut everything down, obviously you didn't. Just say it, went, it was a little bit worse and you had to cut off all the dead wood. At least you know you got that. You're still the person you was. You're more knowledgeable. You've went through that experience and you know at least one day you will bounce back even if it does take years. Mm. Obviously you didn't do that but I'm just trying to talk about the importance of character and all of those different things there. Um, and the importance of forming habits like at that when I got to that point in time I'd developed the habit that I'd get up at pretty much 5am most days and I'd get to work and I'd do the most important job of the day and I'd make the right contacts and I'd develop whatever I needed to develop so at that point in time you don't sort of crawl up into a ball and go oh I'm going to feel sorry for myself and all oh, the world's so bad and all that kind of stuff because my habit was get up and do the work so mm. you stay in that pattern. You just have to think more critically. You have to do different work. You have to prioritize differently. And then you obviously need a support network. So it made me uh, a lot stronger in my relationship with my wife because we started supporting each other a lot more. I started telling her a lot more things. And the reality is my my wife's very business savvy. Like she mm. she's good with people and she helped me work through some really key stuff. Mm. So obviously it was a wide range of different things how that happened but then it's also kind of a sense that a bad egg nearly it played a big part in that whole year or leading up to that year yeah and then we talked already today about environment you talked just about your wife and how that helped what about your family what about other people in the business was it a difficult time for everybody or did everybody come together like how how was that? How was it coming to work, putting on a, a brave face and basically fighting the everyday challenge you was fighting? Did you tell people it's all going to be okay, even though you're thinking to yourself it's not? Or like, like what? I'm, I'm just trying to 
Um, sorry if my question's not too specific, but I'm just trying to understand your your process you went through because it's not just like if my business failed, okay, I got an apprentice, I got an office and stuff, but you did have quite a lot of overheads. Mm-hmm. You did have more pressure. You had people in your programs. Um, people like myself looked up to you. You had people who was inspired by you in your journey. Did, was it just a brave face situation or did you go and say, listen, guys, it's not good. Mm. We need everyone to, c- to come together and come out the other end. What did you do? Yeah, so our business, you know, we're spending anywhere from 50 to 70 grand a month. So that's a lot of overhead to cover. Like we need to cover that every month before, you know, we even break even. I, How when much? I went through 50 to 70 grand a month. Oh so, God. you know, but that's just bigger business. Yeah, like you is, go to an true. even bigger business yeah, and they're true. spending a million a yeah, month. It's so true. it's, it's true. relative, man. I read, yeah, the shoe dog, um, the Nike yeah, yeah, Phil Knight. Book, and it's like he turnover was fourteen million a year, and he's still having cash flow issues. Yeah, and it's, like, it's nuts. Yeah. And that people don't understand that. Yeah, That's people like, look at business like, yeah, oh, they've got all this coming yeah. in. Yeah, what's going out, mate? Like, I'm in my overdraft kit. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the credit card. So, um, I involved very few people in the recovery process. So I involved my wife. I involved my mum because she follows what I do and she loves me and she's always very interested. Um, involved my brother and my staff members was to a degree. Was your brother working for you at the time? Yeah, yeah, it has been for many years now. Um, and that was it. And the reason why that was it is because I didn't need anyone else's sympathy. No. I didn't I didn't want to go to a party and people to be like, oh, how's it going being nearly bankrupt? Like, have you had a shit week and stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> you don't want those conversations you want to forget about it for an evening and then move on so I literally had like three four five people that knew and that was it and the reason why that's important is because I don't want to have the same conversation ten times a day ten times a week I'm wasting time I want to go to work I want to hustle for ten hours a day I want to work towards fixing the problem and then when I turn off my phone or decide that I'm not working anymore, I want to live my life like a normal person. Mm. But everyone you know, quite often wants to share all their problems with the world. But the problem is you've got to live in that problem every moment of the day. Yeah. If you've got problems at work, don't bring them home. Forget mm. about them. Deal with them the next day. Don't live in that cycle every day because otherwise you're not ever re-inspired about your environment. So I might have a really crap day at work, but I might go out with my mates have a great evening, relax, have a beer, makes me feel better. So when I wake up the next day, I'm in a good place to like start work again rather than just like almost always living in this pain. So I, I made I made it a priority for me to control that environment so I could perform at my best. Correct me if I'm wrong, through that year of 2017, um, did you post anything about it or did you just Never. do the podcast what Never. you did at the end of the year? Yeah. Just when me. it was all sort, well, somewhat all sorted. That was the first time anyone knew anything was wrong. There was a couple of people that were Damn. close to me that they turned up to an event and kind of went, you're a bit different. Like you're a bit distant. Like I, I was just getting this vibe. And mm. when I did the podcast, a lot of people reached out to me and went, shit, that's why you were kind of off. I had no idea that was going through wow. you know, your head. Because um, I probably wasn't fully present with that person because no. there was something fairly serious happening in my life. But yeah, like, you know, again, it's like if I want to sit on Facebook and 
and moan about all the stuff that's happening in my life. Oh, this has happened. I've just had to pay this bill. This guy screwed me over. What that does is it robs more time and energy out of my life to solving the problem. Mm. Because you're going to get all these comments on social media. I'm going to get all these notifications on my phone. I'm going to get calls from people going, oh, are you all right? That post on Facebook has now robbed three hours of my life that I could have used to solving the problem. So sometimes you just got to turn off the world deal with your own problem and do the work. So was it hard when you was going through, you said there was only say, say a maximum of five people knew what you was going through. Just say that for now. Um, was it hard then putting on a brave face, being consistent still? Was you still post, obviously you said you're still doing your podcast, mm. still doing the social media stuff. Yep. Was, it, was it hard to put like a social media post up knowing damn well this post ain't going to help me sit get the 50 70 grand or did it when your head did was it still pretty important does that kind of make sense because i guess one post over isn't going to change your life but i guess a hundred posts might i don't know whatever as an example but was it hard finding the motivation to do the small consistent things you've been so great at over the years especially when basically you're in you're, you're in shit the hardest thing was losing my creativity so creativity oh, okay. is the most important asset of of any successful person because it allows you to see solutions to problems allows you to engage with people in the right way and when you've got big problems breathing down your neck whether they're financial relationship it robs all your creativity because your focus goes all in on that problem so i had to perform business as usual that means do my podcast speak on social media do all of that kind of stuff but the problem is is all of that stuff started to take a real slow decline because i wasn't mm-hmm. innovating on myself i wasn't becoming a better human being and that's why people follow me because they tend to like what i'm saying they follow me for nutrition advice inspiration all that kind of stuff so if that's going down because my creativity's going down now my now my business is suffering so that was the hardest thing like my business was imploding from the inside and then from the outside it was starting to crumble because i had a lack of creativity so i'm sitting here trying to record the podcast or do the social media post but in the back of my mind i'm like god i wish i could just get this done quickly so i've got to go back and number crunch or got to go back and you know do something that I kind of don't want to do and I'm not very skilled at, but the business needs it. So that was the hardest thing. Wow. Okay, so then early 2018, how did you feel? You released the podcast, you told all your loyal fans, people who are following you, what's up, what's happened, you're over it, you went through that. How was 2018 for you? Much better. It still took me a long time to get to the place that I wanted to get to so this would is, you say you're there now or would you say you're still literally getting- the last 10 days I'm in the best business position I've ever been in my life preach tell them again <laughs> tell them again <laughs> <laughs> today is a good day this week is a good day and it's you're because Cam Parker the tallest motivational speaker in the game <laughs> tallest sexiest <laughs> oh okay sorry sorry guys <laughs> Follow me. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Um, So it took me a lot longer because the problem was is I'd I'd poisoned the environment. Mm. So while we created the problem when we had to rescue the problem and all kind of, you know, all hands to the pump and do everything we needed to, there was still this culture that was there because there's only so much time in the day to solve all your problems. Did you get rid of a few bad eggs in 2017? 
Uh, one key one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we got to 2018, and it's like, right, we've recovered. We're financially secure. We've played all our debts. Now we need to, we need to basically go back to the beginning Start of 2016 mm. and learn how to build a business again. So 2017 wow. was recovery. 2018 was learning how to behave as a bigger business, um, work as a team, improve our systems, improve our products, improve our service. So I basically held myself back for two years mm. through poor decision making. <laughs> You did hold yourself back for two years, but you kind of didn't as well. What you went through... I did and I didn't. Yeah, so Depends like, how you want to yeah, look at it. Yeah, it, it. I'm very grateful of the skills that I now have mm. because I didn't let it crush me. But you had to go I through a lot going. of pain to get through it. Yeah. And there was some tears and there was a lot of uncomfortable weeks and there was a lot of hard work. There was a lot of 18-hour days, but... The reality was I knew... So it's, it's again, it's about projecting. It's like if I quit now what happens mm. well I, I i go back seven years so if i knuckle down i can go back two years but beyond that i'll be in the best position in my life i've ever been in which is where i'm sitting right now i'm in a good really good place oh. so people have to ask themselves where are you at right now are you willing to go through two years of crap stuff, of pain, of consistency, of hard work to get to that light? Mm. That's the reality of every business owner. You go and read a book yeah. of someone that's been successful and you'll see pain, injury, heartache, blood, sweat, tears. But no, everyone just looks at the, the social media mm. highlight, the book cover of them celebrating, the gold medal. Well, you've got to look at all that background and you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to go through all of that stuff to get out to the other end? And the reality was I was ready for it. I'd already been through hard years. The first three yeah. years of my business were me writing blogs, filming videos, doing social media posts with no one listening, no one hitting like. And then it was like the two and a half year mark where people started to watch my videos and like my posts. And then my business really started to snowball. But I had like two and a half years in the dark. Yeah. Like, is anyone reading this blog? I hope so. Yeah. I'll keep going because mm. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did um, following Cameron Parker inspire you? <laughs> <laughs> right, so you're in a fantastic position now. We talk about um, awesome, um, awesome supplements. And I have to be honest with you. I said it here. I wouldn't give you any compliment if I didn't mean it. Um, but they are your supplement company is really good. The see, I've been through the gym for many years, taken many different um, products, different proteins. Um, never really been a fan of pre-workout, really, but I, I, I've done it before. The creatine, but also at the same time, when as far as supplements, I never really knew how to take it. Mm -hmm. Never really knew how to take it or when I should take it, or the knowledge behind it. But that's another reason why I followed you anyway. But then I knew at the back, back of my head, I knew a lot of these supplements are full of a lot of crap at the same time. Mm -hmm. A huge amount of crap. Let's be honest, right? Yep. And one more thing... more profitable. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and one thing what I liked about Awesome Supplements is it was connected to you. And I thought, literally thought to myself, if it, we said it earlier, it's like a song. If it's good enough for you, it was good enough for me. And I knew you wouldn't, because of your morals, because of what you stand for, um, 
I knew it was going to be a good, healthy product to have. So I have to give you a compliment and your team, your brother, and everybody around you for that. Um, and I look at it and I think it's incredible. That's amazing. And talking about money again, talking about business again, you said on your most recent um, podcast, thank you, my radio, uh, <laughs> you said on your most recent one, um, I don't know if it's your most recent one, but one recently, uh, that awesome supplements haven't turned over a profit yet. Is that correct? Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. So how do you, that is common in the business world. Yeah. Huge. Very common. common. Yeah. Um, Probably even more common now than it used to be because biz- the business environment has changed a lot. The business world, technology, software is moving very, very quickly. And that means sometimes your uh, time to scale with your opportunity in the marketplace is shortened. Mm. So if you look at industry a long time ago, um, there was far less innovation. So you could kind of take that time to make a few mistakes, get profit in the bank, invest in a new product line, do some consumer market research, yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but sometimes in the modern world, because industry is moving so fast, you've now maybe got a year to make it instead of three years. So you see a lot of companies taking Mm. on big investment to try and uh, reduce that window of how quickly they can get to market and win. So if you look at, you know, Silicon Valley, if you if you look at the activity there, all these apps that are coming out, technologies, they'll quite often get big amounts of money in, hire the best talent, build a bit of software, massive market and push, hopefully succeed in the marketplace. Um, so, you know, with awesome supplements, I have to accept that with a product line, it's not like a service. A service, like you and me, we do speaking. So I get a gig, Mm. And I go out and I deliver for a day and I get paid for that that day Mm. or that hour or whatever. With a product, I need to buy, let's say, a thousand units in stock. You have to put money into it. Just sits there. Does nothing apart from gather dust. And you know what? It costs money to sit there in storage fees. And then I've got software fees on top of that. I've got a website. I've got marketing. I've got staff. So it takes a lot of risk to build a product line. And, you know, I probably made... You know, I don't know if it was the right decision or not, but with my position in the industry, I felt I kind of had to go go big or go home because there's so much competition in the supplement space. I didn't want to be like, hey, I've brought out a whey protein. And people are like, yeah, that's great. There's whey protein everywhere. What's the point of me Somebody buying protein company, off you? But with just your face on it, essentially. Well, no, it's the or reason why I thought just, like that. Yeah. Let me finish, Cal. Sorry. Jesus. Um, Sorry, <laughs> it's like it's like going to like I could sit here and say, Camp, you should uh, you should go to the butchers and do your meat shop, and you might go, do you know what? I know that's the ideal, and I'd like to do that, but it's really inconvenient. I just want to go to the supermarket and buy it all. And I thought, well, Camp, you're not going to go to my website and buy a tub of whey protein, but then go to another company and buy three other products. Okay, you're just not going to spend that money. It costs no. you more. So I kind of thought, right, well, I need a solution as a company that provides the bulk of what most people need. So when they log on to Awesome Supplements, they're like, hey, yeah, sweet. I can get my whey protein. I can get my creatine. I can get my fish oil. Job done. Awesome. And that's why I made the decision to go a lot bigger. So it took a lot more investment, tons more investment, because I had to buy nine product lines, maybe a thousand units of each to enter into the marketplace. So it was a lot riskier, but it was a decision that I made and I felt it was the right decision at the time. And I still probably think it was the right decision. Amazing. Um, can you just clear something up for me? Yep. Um, 
should, should I be taking creatine? It depends. What what is creatine? I've heard so many different people <laughs> telling talking about creatine. I don't know whether you need it. What you like? If somebody's that, I imagine if I think that, there's probably a lot of people who also think that. Should we be taking creatine? What's it for? What's the benefits? And because say whether it's an ignorant opinion already, um, I've heard that creatine makes you stronger, uh, but it's also a lot of water retention, so you basically look bloated all the time. Um, they're the, maybe the misconceptions that I have of creatine. Yeah. Are they accurate? Are they not? Should a general gym user be on creatine? What? I don't know. So let's keep it simple, because otherwise you know, people can go and do their own research and reading. Will it make you retain water? Yes. But that's not a bad thing because Why? it's allowing you to store more creatine and water and glycogen in the body. So it's a good thing because if you want to perform longer, you want to be stronger, you want to do more physically, your body needs a greater store of the tools and substrates to do that thing. Mm. So that's why we end up storing more. So that's why, for example, a runner might do a carb loading approach because they want more in the muscle to be able to do more with. Mm. So we want more storage to perform better. So if you play sport or you hit the gym and you do weightlifting or hit training or anything, chances are creatine is going to be beneficial because it creates uh, more ATP in the muscle, which allows you to perform more explosively, repeatedly over time. So for me, I take creatine because I lift weights and I play rugby. You hit the gym, so it'd probably be beneficial that you take creatine. Can so, you still look lean on creatine? Yes, because the the water is largely being retained in the muscle tissue, not the fat tissue. If you're if you oh, look fat, okay. it's because you're fat. <laughs> Sorry. So if you that's it, guys. You're fat. You're fat. Well, okay. That's the reality. Like people can stand there and go. Oh, <laughs> You know, you might have water retention and it might be that you have three or four pounds of water retention. But for most people, you're not going to see that different. If you're really lean, let's say you're like seven, eight, nine, ten percent body fat and you gain three pounds of water, you will see that physical difference because you're that lean. Mm. But if you're not leaner than like 12, 13, 14 percent body fat, you're probably not going to see that change because you're just not lean enough to see it. You don't have that much muscle definition yeah. anyway. Yeah. Sorry, mate. So do you cycle creatine? <laughs> no. No, you just... No. There's no it? reason to cycle it. You can take it. I stop taking it when I go on holiday. Just have a natural break. I do that with pretty much all my supplements because it's just one less thing to think about. Yeah. But in my normal routine, when I'm training, I'm at home, always take creatine, always take things like fish oils and stuff. Yep. So when's it going to start working for you? <laughs> what's next for awesome supplements man what's next for Ben Kuma? what's next for awesome supplements what you got planned you said you're in a fantastic business position um, I quite know obviously your family a little bit now anyway from coming here quite often you seem in a really really good place it's not yep. just for the camera you really seem in a good place what's next 2019 what can we expect what's next for me is essentially next level um, I would say my work is fairly well known in the more um, educated, probably slightly more hardcore fitness market, like the people that are constantly trying to learn and do things. And I'm going to try and move my work into the mainstream more. So um, my podcast is now part of uh, Global Radio, which is a huge radio station. You know, they own a corner of Leicester Square. They own wow. Capital Radio, Heart Radio. So I'm trying to push my podcast a lot more into being a really well-known product. Do you have to change your angle a little bit with that? Or is it... Not really, but it means that I've taken advertisers on board 
Ford and I've heard that on the podcast. Is yeah. that the same? Yeah, that's okay. it. Um, it means it facilitates. BMW, buy one now. Where's Ben gone? We're going to try and turn that into a TV show. Um, so we're now trying to build, uh, bring partners on board to fund that because it, you know, costs significant amounts of money. Um, I'm now going to try and write a book that will go into the mainstream. So we're working on getting a publisher. Um, what about? Um, basically, it will be around diet and nutrition and mm. leading an awesome life. Um, don't want to drop the title of the book yet. You know, someone might uh, try and poop on my parade. People love doing that. Um, uh, supplement line we're going to try and uh, we're taking on potentially some investment we're going to try and go big we're going to try and uh, go international with the supplements we're going to try and enter into the convenience market by uh, we've been working on a protein bar for a long time oh, working on energy bars a couple of drinks products so energy drinks there's a lot of cool stuff happening okay but I'm going big you're going big go big or go home yeah well, you're already home so yeah <laughs> going big you your only option. Um, you said a lot of people wanted to kind of shit on your parade. Yeah. I want to know names, um, but... Don't give them the airtime. Do you experience a lot of haters online? Because just looking around, like your community, what I see all your, your reactions you get, everything's positive. I don't think there's anything I could look at what you do and hate on it. Even if I wanted to, I just feel like I must be a bit of an idiot to just try and, I don't know. Do you experience haters? Somebody actually asked me today. Somebody gets on them all the time on yep. their profile. How do you deal with it? And I don't really know how to deal with it, essentially. I only know through progress and just growth and just focus on that. Yep. Because for me, it's like haters or the negativity side of things. I'm not trying to be positive, positive or overly cliche. But it's, it's a sign of bullying for me. Um, not everyone, but... A lot of unless it was a real valuable opinion, and they actually there was a lot of truth to what they were saying, and I was like, actually, I could I could apply that. Thank you for that feedback. But then if somebody's actively going out there and hating on every post, even disliking every YouTube video you put out there, yeah. talking bad about your name in any single conversation they can, how do you deal with that? And have you dealt with that? Yeah, I've dealt with that extensively, um, and it's gotten to a point where it's been quite serious and you know we've had to try and involve external parties and spend money on the process and stuff first and foremost you have to define whether it is a genuine hate from that person on you to try and kind of bring you down in some respect or affect your business and you know the key piece of um consistent hate that i experienced in 2016 2017 well, around was, the same time yeah it was, yeah and it compounded the problem a lot it was it was very difficult and that was one of the things that contributed to us being in a very difficult financial position as well but anyway you know when this happens you have to define if it's legitimate hate or there's some truth to it or maybe the way that you're delivering information so there's nothing wrong with you putting information out there and polarizing opinion that's absolutely fine people do that every day in fact people would probably say You've it's a it good before, yeah it's a, it's a good business move like you yeah. you want to get people into your product but and there's a lot often surely. there is a line um so when you have to kind of deal with haters um you have to stand back and again spend a bit of time with yourself and say like why am i doing this um what is this person's motive so when i look at a hater and i i can see this because i've been dealing with someone this week that would fit into that bracket why is that person doing something? Now, I know this person. I've met them several times. They've been to my seminars. I know what they're about. I know how they think. I don't feel he's hating on me. 
I know that that person is projecting onto the world because this person is angry. Oh. They're angry at themselves. They're angry at the decisions they've made. They're angry at the stuff other people are doing that they're not doing, that they didn't have the, the self-discipline and the will to make those decisions. So quite often, someone will hate to project what they believe on the world. So it's why it's important to stand back and see what this person's saying, what their motives are, whether there's any truth in it, what their background is. Because a lot of people, like, let's look at the nutrition space. I might talk about vegan nutrition. The hate that I might get is from the ethical environment of how veganism has been built. So we don't agree with the slaughter of animals. And that's absolutely fine. But what that will create is a lot of hate on some environments because they have such a strong belief that animals wouldn't be killed that if they see you eating a steak, they really want to project their point of view on Mm. you to say, you're a bad person. And they want other people to see that because they want other people um, to come in on their environment, you know, because they believe so strongly. So even in that environment, if I put a post out and say, right, I'm going to talk about vegan nutrition and someone starts to comment on and it starts to get a little bit heated, I have to stand back and say, why is that person hating on this post? And it might be that actually while that post has angered them and they've got their reasons that I've worded it in a way that's upset them. Mm. And I could have worded it slightly different. So I always think it's important to look at the hate and why it's happening. Because there's probably always some truth in it. Mm. And we have to accept that. And not many people are strong enough to accept that. But we also have to understand where that person's coming from. Yeah. Um, that's also true for life. Whether you're running a business, whether you're in a particular in industry, it's just life as well. We all mm. obviously all experience that. Um, I do actually have a question from a guy called Paul Sloggett um, from Instagram. And There's, he's got a great brand opportunity there. Slog it. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> and um, yeah, so he's a big fan of you. And But let's be honest, about the fitness industry, whether it's nutrition, whether it's fitness, there's a lot of people out there giving a lot of fake information or just something, say some bodybuilder who says, buy my program for £50 um, and essentially you'll look like me. But one big key thing they're missing out is what else they're doing behind the scenes, say illegally. Um, so Paul Sloggett question was, do qualifications matter in the fitness and nutrition industry? And has Ben ever been asked to prove his qualifications? I've probably had to prove my qualifications on like two or three occasions in like the last seven or eight years. So not often, not many people are that concerned about it. Um, I do think qualifications are important because you have to understand, you know, the basics of your job. Mm. Like if I didn't go and do a level three personal training course, like I wouldn't understand the basics of human movement and coaching and all that kind of stuff. So you do need it to a degree. Um, You know, it's also going to allow you to open up certain demographics and markets for your work. So if I stopped at being a level three personal trainer and I wanted to coach people on you know, mindset issues, movement issues, you've got to go and get more qualifications. You can't just enter into those markets. I'm going to start treating you for your back pain. What are your qualifications? You need those qualifications. Um, Because also you need to be insured against your work. I can't try and fix your back pain if I'm not insured to fix your back pain. 
because you could sue me and mm. you'd be right to sue me. Um, so I do think it's important to get those qualifications. But I do think in any career path, it's then about you looking to develop yourself on every level. So for me to be the best nutrition coach, I need to understand nutrition. But then I also need to understand behavior change and how uh, situations affect different people because the information that I try and coach them on might be affected by their environment, their financial situation, how they feel about things. So, you know, a personal training qualification is literally the basic level. And then you've got to learn business. You've then got to learn behavior change. You've then got to maybe learn movement. Then the practices of S&C and how that fits into things. Like, you know, your qualification is quite often your starting point your career okay perfect um i'm not going to drag this on much longer but what does uh success look like to you ben it's always you personally yeah it's always a feeling so right now in this moment i feel successful that's it i've got a roof over my house i've got a lovely home i've got a lovely wife i've got a car on the drive that works i have a good friendship group i'm financially secure i'm emotionally secure i feel successful I've up you hate us. What are you saying? <laughs> you know, but it's it's not attached to anything particular financially. I know that I need to earn a certain amount to feel that I'm safe and secure to provide for mm-hmm. the roof over my head and all the rest of it. So it does have an, a, a financial tie, but it is a feeling. Um and I know that that feeling over time will be attached to me moving forward. I constantly like to feel like I'm developing myself, learning new stuff every day, challenging myself, you know, thinking of new ideas. I'll then keep staying successful. But ultimately, it's a feeling. Um, and you said in one of your most recent podcasts as well that you might have a might be thinking about bringing a, a baby into the world later on this year or early yep. next year. Yep. Is that a big step for you? How is that? Is that something you're really looking forward to? Because obviously a lot of times when people have babies, they don't really plan it. Or, or But you've really took the conscious decision that you well, you want to set things up. You want to have things ready. Um, yeah. How, talk to me. Yeah. Um, so a couple of years ago, if you'd asked me about kids, I would probably have said, oh, I'm not ready. And everyone's reaction is, oh, you're never ready. You're never ready. And actually, I disagree with that. Because right now, sitting here, I would say we're ready. Mm. We're ready financially. We're ready in our business. We're ready emotionally because we've done the work in our relationship. Um, You know, if I walked away from my business today and left for a month, it would be fine. Mm. Business would run. I'd still get my salary or the rest of it. So am I ready to have a child? Yes, I'm ready. But I've spent the last 14 years putting myself into that position to be ready. Wow. And that, that's really hard. That is hard. To have that conversation with other people because most people would say, oh, you know, no. straight away you'll be like, you're mm. lucky, you're this, you're that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I was the guy, you know, let's be honest, as a kid, how many people go out and get a girl pregnant after a night out? Well, I would be the guy that would go out. Done it a couple of times. <laughs> no, I would be the guy that would go out and you advise. Gadget line definitely has. <laughs> <laughs> but our school advises this. If you're going to go out, and you're single, go out with a condom. Yeah. It sounds really ridiculous as a kid, but I did do that. Mm. Why? Because I didn't want to end up with a child at the age of 19, 20, 21. That wasn't the path that my life was going on. So I made sure I put all these blockers in the way that made me not make stupid decisions. No, that's very true. Very true. And I was similar. I used to pretend like I was the top dog out, you know, with all the girls, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I just pretended I was. I was terrible. 
terrified. I was literally terrified. I always remember my dad saying, listen, if a girl comes back here and knocks on the door pregnant, you better get a one-way ticket to Fiji and change your name. Mm-hmm. Because I'm breaking your legs. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of stuck with me in a way. It's, it's not the best way of parenting, of course. Yep. Um, but it always scared me. Even the idea of catching something and just all of that just scared me. So for me, I always, once I knew what I wanted to do, I was willing to protect that at any cost. And that meant not going out and partying all the time, mm-hmm. splashing loads of money on nothing, sleeping around, um, because I knew that wasn't going to serve me in the long run. And I was scared of what the repercussions could be. Yep. So I just thought all it takes is that one mistake and then your whole life has changed essentially. Yep. So and now, yeah, I'm in a ha- happily married. So you got Lola and then got another one on the way. Business is finally, I would say, getting there. My perception of things has changed. I feel happy and I definitely feel like I'm growing. I've still got a long, long way to go. Um, but yeah, it's definitely progress, that's for sure. So what I was doing when I was younger was modelling behaviour. So... Again, if you don't take time to sit back and ask yourselves, are you happy? Are you going in the right direction? All that kind of stuff. Then you don't see the decisions that you have to make to change your life mm-hmm. path. So when I left school and I got a job and I did all that kind of stuff, people around me were going out and getting drunk all the time, doing loads of stuff. And I'm not saying I wasn't doing that. I mean, I would still go well, out of course. three days a week when I was at uni and get drunk. Yes, Ben. Lad. Lads on tour. But I still got I still got the work done. I still got up and did my uni work and went to work and all that kind of stuff. But you know, when I was younger and I was twenty, I saw people around me just sort of, you know, getting a job that they weren't happy with, uh, getting um a girl, you know, unintentionally pregnant, all that kind of stuff. And I saw them all being fairly unhappy Mm. with their choices. So I didn't model my behaviour on those people. I said, do you know what? I, I definitely don't want but that. But it still motivated you in the, in the other way, yeah. which isn't but, bad. So I then had to go and find other people to model behaviour on. And this mm. is why I always advise young people to read autobiographies of people that inspire them and listen to podcasts like this that inspire yeah. you because it's like they will teach you how to behave in a better way to get a better outcome. Because yeah, if you course. want a better outcome, you've got to find a better way to do things. Yeah, of course. Amazing. Right, I'm going to wrap this up, but my final question is this. If you could sit down with three people, famous people if you want, dead or alive, what three people would it be, Ben? 100% Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Just because inspiring life is in the fitness industry, I just think he's an absolute legend. You know, everything that he does is just brilliant. Um, who else? I always used to say Richard Branson. He inspires me from a business perspective because he will always challenge the status quo yeah. and I like that. To be honest, if you put him in front of me right now, I don't think I'd know what to ask. I think I'd be like, oh, there's, there's almost like so much that you can ask mm. that I wouldn't kind of know where to start. Um, I think I'd probably want to, you could you should, probably should have prepared me for this question. It's like when people go, Ben, what's your favourite book? And you're like, oh my God. Like out of all the books I've <laughs> the read, book I, the one book uh, I do the know book that I haven't read yet. <laughs> Extreme Ownership. That's probably one oh, of from my Jocko. Num- Jocko Willink. Okay, it's one of my favourite books. Is man. it good? Is it? I haven't checked it it's out. It's incredible. Yet. But again, it's a it's a fundamental life skill that you have to take ownership over mm. everything that you do in your life. And when you take a hundred percent extreme ownership, you're able to control all your environments and I think that's really important so I've given you two people let's let's stick with that uh, Jamie Oliver ja- okay he yeah. gets a lot of hate yeah I know he does he polarises opinion but it's because he's honest 
Mm. And he challenges people. It's like, we are not being good enough parents in a lot of environments. We are not feeding our kids good food. We are not doing the right things in school. And that challenges the status quo. So that's going to make people upset. That's why he polarises opinion. So when are you going to get Jamie Oliver on your podcast? Have you? I've been trying. His PR team said they're up for it. It's just not the right time. So we'll see. We'll see. Amazing. I'll throw a fourth one in there, The Rock. I think he's a legend. Can you smell <laughs> what the rock is cooking? cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Agreed. Um, where can people find you, Ben? Uh, ben Coomber all over the internet. Uh, go is to my silent, website. Is it a silent B? No, it's not. Somebody asked me Ben <laughs> Coomber. Uh, so, yeah, whether your poison is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, I'm Ben Coomber. My podcast is Ben Coomber Radio. Um, a few amazing guests have been on. Um, apparently, your podcast was good when you were a guest. Um, you know. <laughs> the longest yeah. podcast you've ever done. Yeah, it is. I don't it's know what list. that means, whether that's a it's good thing Mate, or bad thing. It was thing. a great podcast. I loved it. Um, we started with a topic and we just kind of just like today we just went off and uh, I just want to say once again thank you Ben um, you're a great guy and I respect you a huge amount for the fact that you are so open and so honest especially not just in the fitness industry but in business and in life because a lot of people are not willing to talk about going credit cards overdraft going bankrupt nearly all of these different things people want to just show the highlight reel and you should be very proud of yourself. I know that's, that just sounds horrible, I guess, but you should be proud of yourself to the fact that you are so open, you're willing to be open. And I know in the long term, like it already is, it's just going to serve you and continue to serve you. And I know no doubt 2019 is going to be your big year, another big year. And I know eventually you're going to go exactly and do exactly what you want to do. Thank you. Awesome. And one day write a Ford for my book if you can. Yeah, awesome. I'll do it. All right, brilliant. There you have it, guys. <laughs> um, I just want to say a massive thank you again for checking out this podcast. Do follow Ben on all of his social medias. We're looking to grow this podcast and, of course, take over Ben's podcast. That is the goal. That is the dreams of reality. But make sure that you like, comment, share, listen to us as well. And make sure you hit that big red button and subscribe. And until next time, keep working hard and stay hungry.